Welcome to episode 129 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Friday the 17th of September. My name is Mark Williams-Cook, and today I'm going to be joined by Will Critchlow, CEO at Searchpilot, and we're going to talk all about A-B testing for SEO and how companies and senior marketing leaders should think about SEO investments. Before we get going, I'm delighted to tell you this podcast is very kindly sponsored by the people at Sitebulb. Sitebulb is a desktop-based SEO auditing tool for Windows and Mac. We've used it for many years at Canda. I've used it myself for a long time, so I'm really glad to have them as a sponsor because I love telling people about this software. If you've heard previous episodes, you'll know I normally go through kind of one feature that I've recently used or I like about Sitebulb. And actually this week, I was going through some training with some internal teams, so some in-house teams for SEO, and we were talking about internal linking and thinking about users and trying to work out how best to use our internal linking structure to get content to rank. And one of the really cool things that Sitebulb does is they have a nice detailed internal linking, internal anchor text section in their tool, which highlights things such as pages that only have for instance, one link or one no-followed link throughout the whole site. It gives you a really quick report as to the type of content that basically is probably not going to rank because you're telling search engines that it's not that important because you've buried it in your site. And actually, it's a good flag for your users as well are unlikely to find that content because you only made one route for them to get to it. So it's a really, really insightful report. You can pull off Sitebulb as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. They've got a special offer for Search with Candor listeners. If you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, you can get a 60-day trial of their software, no credit card or anything required. Give it a full test drive. If you don't like it, no problem. If you do, and I would highly recommend that you probably will like it when, you, when you've tried it, you can obviously sign up. So sitebulb.com forward slash SWC to give it a go. So today we are very lucky to be joined by Will Critchlow, who is CEO at Searchpilot and SEO partner at Brain Labs. Welcome, Will. Good to be here. Thanks, Mark. So I've known Will now, and we're actually just talking about this. I would say it's more accurate to say I've known of Will and he's known of me for quite a few years. We've talked um, online quite a few times, but not so much in person. You'll know if you listen to this podcast, we've actually featured Search Pilot, I think, three times um, at the um, at the last count for the A/B testing they're doing. Um, Search Pilot itself, um, Will, I think it'd be a really good place to start if you could give us a little bit of history about yourself and Search Pilot, maybe for those um, who it's all new to. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, I guess right from the beginning, got into the industry, uh, founded a company called Distilled uh, back in 2005, uh, along with my co-founder, uh, Duncan Morris. And uh, Distilled became a, an SEO agency. We started out in web, web dev, web design, but, but got it, ended up as an SEO agency running conferences, Search Love, people might have heard of. Um, and we ended up with offices in the UK and the US. 
And then in the uh, in the last few years, we'd built up an R&D team, um, just kind of looking for new innovations, looking for uh, exciting new things that we could do. And um, the, the biggest, the most exciting thing that came out of that was the platform that we originally called the ODN, the Optimization Delivery Network, which is what's now called SearchPilot. And uh, just, just before the pandemic, uh, January 2020, we went through a deal where we spun out uh, the technology and software platform, uh, which is the, the platform designed for SEO A-B testing, uh, that, that we rebranded SearchPilot, spun that out into its own independent company, and uh, sold the rest of the company, so the, the agency and the conference business, uh, to, uh, to a company called Brain Labs, which is... Uh, they started out on the PPC side of things, and that group is now um, yeah, do, doing most digital marketing channels um, after having acquired Distilled and a couple of other folks. And so, um, yeah, we're now running SearchPilot as uh, it's an you know, independent business, mainly old, but owned by the old Distilled shareholders. And um, yeah, my, my time is majority spent running that. And then I have uh, yeah, some ongoing responsibilities on the Brain Lab side as well. Brilliant. So if we talk about actually then you, you mentioned you made this R&D group at Distilled where you came up um, amongst other things, I guess, with this this ODM. Why did you feel it was necessary at the time to go down this route and make an A-B testing platform for, for SEO? Because there's, as you know, there's lots of opinions in the industry about how things work and even very um, experienced SEOs, you know, you can see disagreeing on um, pretty, I guess, basic things. So at what stage did you think, okay, this is going to be a good idea. This is going to be really helpful for us. Or was it more just kind of a, a punt and you thought you'd see, let's see what we get back from it? Well, I mean, I think what you described there is exactly why we need testing. <laughs> is uh, is the 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 depth and breadth of opinions is one of the most delightful things about SEO. But there's times, in my opinion, where we also would really like to know what's actually true. And uh, we so it was a convergence of a few different things. Partly, we'd seen the direction of the of Google, direction of the industry in general towards more complexity, more, more kind of black box thinking on Google's side, more machine learning in the algorithm, just less predictability, I think, like less, um, actually just less understandable uh, for us on the outside, I, I suspect also for search engineers. So there was that trend, which we've been talking about for a few years at, at you know, conferences, writing about and so forth. Um, there was the, um, the fact that this was an emerging capability that some folks were able to do. So we, we'd heard about um, people at places like TripAdvisor had built an internal platform for doing some of this stuff. Uh, Pinterest had blogged about it. You know, there, there were a few places, who, big tech companies mainly, who, who'd managed to build out the capability to do this, what was a, a totally novel kind of SEO testing, not just kind of testing in a laboratory or testing in a, on a kind of um, made-up domain or trying to look at before and after, but actually to try and apply some kind of statistical significance to this kind of stuff. And so I guess there was need because of you know, Google's shifts and, and so forth. There was opportunity because of uh, the, the kind of discovery of this way of doing things, I suppose. And, and we thought that there was a chance that we could build it out in a way that would be accessible to way more sites and, and organizations than just these you know, tech companies who could build their own product. And uh, so Tom Anthony, my, my colleague now at SearchPilot, was then the head of R&D at, uh, at Distilled, and my co-founder Duncan joined that team. He was kind of on the engineering side of things, and, and it came. The other, I guess, the final piece of the puzzle was the 
was it possible for us to build something like this as a product rather than just integrate it into the platform like somebody like TripAdvisor has done? And there we set off, you know, this is what R&D is all about, right? It, it was literally risky research and development. Can we, can we build something that's performant enough that can um, deploy the way we want it to? So we actually, we had a, a hack week where the team built the, you know, the very first version of a thing that could just make the modifications. It wasn't even split testing at that point. It was just fixing stuff. Um, basically in a, in a CDN-like layer deploying into, into the server side of the website. And um, you know, obviously, given where we are now, the answer was yes, we can build it. Yes, it can be performant. Yes, it can uh, deploy that way. And from there, it was, it was a question of all of those pieces coming together um, and, and building it out. So that you touched on a few really interesting uh, points that, that really, I think, impact the way SEO professionals have to both strategically and tactically consider what they're doing, what they're advising to clients. And I saw in, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about today how senior leadership should think about SEO investments. And one of the things I saw that really interested me, a tweet you did was, you said that the future of SEO looks more like CRO, so conversion rate optimization. And I just wanted to ex explore that with you. And is is that you know, how close do you think we're going to get? And do you see A-B testing playing more of a role as we head towards that future? I think, I mean, spoiler alert, yes. Uh, I am um, the, which obviously I'm biased. You know, I, I, run a, I run a testing company, but I think the causality runs the other way. I run a testing company because I think it's going to be important. And so the, um, I, I think there's two big strands to what I mean by this, you know, future of SEO looks more like CRO kind of line of thinking. One is that methodology side. So the methodologies of CRO, the idea of um, going broad to develop a hypothesis, then testing your hypothesis. Uh, you know, on the CRO side, that might come from user research, it might come from surveys, it might come from looking at what your competitors are doing, any of those kinds of areas. On the SEO side, again, it can look at what your competitors are doing. It can come from first principles on the kind of information retrieval side of things. It can come from Google announcements. It can come from, uh, again, user research. What, what do you think users um, enjoy or, or like? And then building that out as a specific hypothesis and testing it and iterating through those um, sides of things. So, so that's part of it is that I think that the methodology of SEO at high performing teams, uh, especially on large websites, big organizations, looks more like the methodologies of CRO. The other piece is the, uh, I actually think, the kinds of hypotheses that we have and the kinds of changes that we make to websites to help them perform better in search will be more and more user-centric over time. And that's not exactly the same thing as saying all we have to do is optimize for the user. You know, Google would love us to think that that was what we had to do. I, I don't think that's the case now, and I don't think we're anywhere near that case and pro possibly not even converging to that case because uh, the, the needs of search engine spiders, the needs of, you know, a web scale indexer, crawler, etc. They're not the same as, as, a, as a user. And there's always going to be things I think that we have to do just for the robots. And actually, you know, arguably there's more of that that we have to do just for the robots than there ever has been. But, you know, if, if I think back over the, you know, whatever, 15 years I've now been in SEO, we do more and more of that than we ever used to. Uh, Robots.txt, sitemaps.xml, hreflang, all these kinds of things that are not designed for humans at all. So um, yeah, I, I'm definitely not saying all we're going to need to do is user-based stuff. 
I just think that a lot of our best hypotheses will come from this is going to be better for our users. I think it's really interesting as well from a from a point of view of training people to do SEO. So, so something I've certainly noticed when we've run training courses is when we're talking to people who are involved in content uh, and on-page SEO and not so much technical SEO, a lot of what I will teach them rightly or wrongly is sometimes they don't need to know the specifics or they shouldn't be thinking about the rules of what they're doing so much as the longer term Google's goal of just focus on making this helpful for the user in terms of the, the content you're writing, but still from the technical point of view, as you say, you know, things like schema, um, you know, they're not seen by the user. We still have to do them for the search engine. I still have, I spend a lot of time with clients on canonical tags because Google's getting stuff horribly wrong um, and, and hreflang as well. So yeah, we, we're doing more technical SEO than ever. But it does seem, at least from the more content point of view, I'm, I'm talking to people less about specific, you know, rules they should be trying to optimize for and just think more generally about what's good. So, so I think that's really interesting. The question I've got for you out of this is, um, do you think now for people coming into SEO and learning about SEO and wanting to go across any of those fields, whether it's kind of technical content, whatever, they should be looking at experts such as um, I know Dawn Anderson is is specializing a lot recently in information retrieval we've got people like Bill Swosky who over many years looked has been taking this um, approach of looking very heavily at, at patents so do you think we should think more about the the technology and Google's aims and trying to work out where we fit in there rather than um, you know we should do these things because these help ranking yeah, I think that, uh, so I, I think my view on this is that at the very entry level, you're probably better off understanding uh, some of the fundamentals of how users search, how search engines are used, how search engines call your website, the, the kind of, the, the foundations, I guess, of um, appearing in search rather than optimizing for search in many ways. And I think, so I think everything you're describing there is what I would encourage somebody to do when they, at the intermediate level, I think, yes, is the short answer. So once you've got the basics down, the, the next level down is understanding information retrieval theory. Yeah, I mean, I read as much as I can of, of the things that people that you mentioned, Dawn and Bill and so forth put out because they're, Certainly for my style of learning, my style of approach to these things, I find that the better I understand the fundamentals, the better I can reason about it from first principles, the better my recommendations and, and ideas are. I can imagine a different approach. And I know some very successful, I don't think there's only one way of doing this. I know some very successful uh, SEOs and, and digital marketers who don't really think about it from the algorithmic side at all, right? That, so that's my approach, but it, it, I, I'm not saying it has to be for everyone. I think I think there are alternative approaches. I know some you know, phenomenal content-driven folks who, who really just think about it through the uh, through the editorial lens, through the user behavior lens, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's probably a, a little bit of building teams with diverse diversity across these different approaches. But um, yeah, I, my view, especially on the consulting side, which I guess is the side I know best, where you're working with a wide range of different websites, seeing all kinds of different problems, 
the kinds of technical issues that come up, the kinds of things that block rankings, the kind of things that result in underperformance, I think, yes, you, you probably do. To, to get to an advanced level, you do need to understand the, the, the basics, the fundamentals and the information retrieval side. So that's something I want to pick up on a little bit later, which is the difference um, in context to A-B testing with working on one site to, to multiple sites. But while we're talking about um, technical knowledge and people knowing things, I'm just going to read out some stats that I saw Will tweet that make me feel incredibly uncomfortable being an SEO professional, which is that um, there's a few things in SEO that have kind of correct right and wrong answers. And Will did a series of, of polls on Twitter and, and asked um, SEOs, or at least people, I guess, that follow him, which is mainly SEOs, to answer these. And um, this is this is the results that we got, which is that apparently 80% plus of answers to robots.txt or crawling questions were incorrect. 70% plus of answers to questions about frequently cited keyword algorithms like TF, IDF were incorrect. 70% of answers to questions about link flow algorithms like PageRank were incorrect. And 70% plus of answers about JavaScript and cookie handling were incorrect. Even experienced people um, on various tweets, that's all we'll do about deciding which page might rank better, were pretty much no better than a coin flip. Why is this? Why are we just all terrible at SEO? <laughs> I mean, some of us are some of the time. I, I think I think there's a lot to unpack here. So let's 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 work through some of my what I think is going on. But for a start, you mentioned it. these are Twitter polls, right? So who knows who's responding to them? Who knows how much experience they have? Who knows how much thought they've put into them? Uh, I you know the, there was um, I've seen baseline estimates of anything from fifteen to twenty percent of these kinds of polls. People are just clicking any old thing, right? And you can see if you do um, you do things about. On the less serious side, you know, have you been abducted by aliens? It consistently gets a kind of ten or fifteen percent yes response rate. Uh, on the le on the more serious side, I, I noticed on the obviously we're, we're recording this still in in COVID times, uh, and there was a, a a survey about what COVID restrictions UK folks wanted to keep in place after the pandemic, and something like twenty percent of respondents wanted a forever curfew. Right, at, at like a 10 p.m. curfew forever. And you're like, just so I think the baseline is at least 10, 15, 20% of respondents, who knows what they're what they're clicking in these polls. However, there is a serious problem. I think so. Let's break it down. Some of it is just technically wrong, but it doesn't matter to your performance. Right. So if you have a slightly different definition of or, or rather you're you're slightly incorrect, you know, we're we're talking mainly about, as you said, things that are factual, things that do have right and wrong answers. Suppose you get it wrong about a, um, you know, the definition of a particular word or, or, or those kinds of things. That may not make your recommendations worse. You, you may you may be just as good at SEO. You may be a little bit less convincing in describing your recommendations to some people who take you less seriously because you used a word incorrectly or, or whatever. I'm not saying they should, but you know, that, that could happen. Um, some of it is quite niche. So some of the robots that tech stuff, uh, for example, I go pretty far down the rabbit hole. And, and, and so some of that was really quite technical and quite um, esoteric and often quite testable. So, you know, that, that's the equivalent of, um, you know, at, at school, we were told you, you won't always have a calculator in your pocket. 
little did you know uh, that actually these days we not only have a calculator in our pocket, we have access to the entire world's information. And so a lot of this stuff, you know, I would just look it up if I was going to if I was going to make a recommendation around some of these weird edge case robots.tech stuff. I wouldn't be relying on knowing exactly what the precedence of some of those rules are. I go and look it up. So some of it is, it, does it matter that somebody doesn't know off the top of their head? Maybe not. The, the ones that I get most bothered about are things like the um, fundamental misunderstandings of things, some of the link algorithms and those kinds of areas. And it's not, I, I can't figure out whether it makes people's recommendations worse, but it kind of bothers me that this is foundational to what made Google different in the first place. And I'm I'm probably the least gatekeeper-y person you can imagine. I, I think I love people try, learning themselves and discovering their own stuff, and I, I wouldn't stop anybody from, from getting into the industry. But I would strongly recommend anybody getting into the industry to go back and read some of those foundational papers, right? The um, uh, Hypertext Protocol, um, you know, the original PageRank papers, that, that kind of stuff. And I personally find it very hard to reason about things like, will this internal linking change be a good idea? I could just end that sentence there. I find it very hard to reason about things like whether internal linking changes are going to be a good idea. I certainly find it hard to do that um, without thinking deeply about how iterative link algorithms might work. Um, and then the final piece, I think, is the uh, some of the our more um, crowd pleaser type content or crowd disappointing content, such as the um, you know asking people which page will rank better and, and what what I think are essentially core SEO tasks, like, you know, is it a good idea to make, to change this page in this way, that kind of stuff. And I think those are hard problems, genuinely hard problems. So I think we may be slightly better than these surveys suggest, because I'm sure that people aren't seeing a tweet survey going and cracking out all of their, you know, their full toolkit, doing the full research, diving into all the data. They don't even have access to the analytics and those kind of things. You know, so there's a lot of limitations. This is really first impressions. So our first impressions are no better than hope we could get better than that with, with focus and attention and practice. Uh, but for, I do think there's a ceiling. I, I think, you know, from all that we've seen, I think that ceiling is something like 60, 70% accuracy, which means you're getting 30, 40% of those calls wrong. And that's why I think testing is so important because the, getting, the calls you get wrong can really hurt you. So let's, let's talk about that and um, <clears throat> making changes on specific sites A-B testing on specific sites versus um, making decisions, I guess, uh, across a a range of different sites. So I know you've spoken before about, and we've spoken about it in this episode, Google essentially slowly moving towards these machine learning based algorithms, which make things a bit more opaque from the outside. And like you said, probably the inside as well, in that for one website, we might have, if you want to call them factors, variables, they're weighted differently for another industry or another site. Um, it's not just this static set of rules and probably hasn't, never has been, but it's just kind of copy pasted across, you know, this will apply to any site. And I've seen um, some fairly prominent um, people in the SEO industry, no names mentioned, that very much kind of poo-poo A-B testing for SEO. They're just like, you can't do it. Google's way too big, too complex. Things are moving too fast. And I guess I have a, a question around, I can I can certainly see, um, like you mentioned at the beginning, with like TripAdvisor, if you're run sitting in your own box on your own um, platform, the value of the, the testing there. And my question is, are the findings that you 
that you discover if the, you know even when they're significant do you think they are are applicable then as a as a soundbite for you know the, we found internal architects did this on this site is that something then seos should take um and 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 think about on their site should we be modifying our thinking based on these tests done on other sites excellent question and i mean firstly just to go back to the the i guess some of the premise of the folks who yeah i've seen people who who don't think it's possible or worthwhile my question to them is is what's your suggestion what what do you think is better than what we're doing because I think, I mean, I guess you could just throw your hands up and say SEO is impossible, right? I guess that, that is a, that's a coherent position. I would argue against it, but it, it's coherent. I think if you don't think SEO is impossible, then I believe scientific data helps you and testing is the, is the path to that. So that's just covering off, I guess, that part. We have gone through a, a few evolutions of our thinking on how generalizable these results are. And although it didn't exactly happen in this order, I think it's probably related to the separation of search pilot from the consulting business, actually. I think in the in the early days, we imagined that maybe by running all these tests, we could get better at knowing answers. And we could we as distilled at the time with this testing capability, we could be the best agency because we had access to the database of all the tests that we'd run. And from that, we knew more answers than anyone else. We have discovered that that broadly isn't, uh, it, it didn't pan out exactly like that. And th- there's a few subtleties to it. But I think broadly speaking, the biggest benefit of this is running tests on your own site. That, that's definitely true. Now, not every site is suitable for testing on. That's one of the problems. So, and not every page on any website. So, you, know, you can't run an SEO AB test on a homepage, for example. You know, it needs to be on large site sections. And so... We, I think my current position is there is a benefit to reading about winning and losing tests. I mean, we publish a lot on our website, right? We, we have an email list of where we publish a case study every couple of weeks. And, and I find that valuable. I hear from around the industry that other people find that valuable. If I'm working on a small website, for example, our own, right, a B2B SaaS website, I'm going to take lessons learned from scalable tests on very large websites and use them to inform my thinking. So yes, to, to answer your very final question, yes, I do think it should. I do think tests run on other websites can inform your thinking about uh, what you should do. However, what we we have very much not discovered generalizable rules that hold true across the board. Almost every test that we've run, almost every kind of test we've run, we've seen a positive version and a negative version depending on implementation details, the kind of websites running on, the you know, various other. I guess, competitive type situations. Schema is a classic one for that, right? Schema is a a classic prisoner's dilemma where it's good if your competitors don't have it. And if your competitors have it and you don't, you kind of need it. Um, If neither of you had it, that might be okay too. And it might actually be better because you're giving Google less information. But if neither of you have it, both of you have an incentive to defect and put it on your website. So we end up with schema everywhere and possibly it not benefiting anyone but Google. So I think... um, yeah, I, I, I think the, I think you can, it should inform your thinking. You should not take a test run on a different website and say, this test means this always works. Therefore, I'm definitely doing it. And I'm not even going to pay attention to whether it's a good idea on my website. I'm just doing it. Um, you have to, you, you have to do some form of, of your own thinking around that. Um, and that's, yeah, that, 
that's just kind of, I guess, difficult, but it's, it's the way, so I don't know if you remember, um, when would it have been late, late 2000s. So 2008, 2009, um, there was the mods ranking factors. So it was probably called the SEO mods ranking factors survey, uh, at the time. And, uh, I contributed to that for, for a number of years and I found it really interesting in the first few years and increasingly found it impossible to answer their questions because uh, I just, the combination of I didn't know and the answer depended and I kind of suspected that nobody knew. And I think that's where we are now is, is we can have hypotheses and we can test those hypotheses, but they're very hard to turn into generalizable, this always works type rules. We're at the midpoint in the show, so I want to give you an update from our podcast sponsor, Wix. You can now customise your structured data markup on Wix sites even more than before. Here are some of the new features brought to you by the Wix SEO team. Add multiple markups to pages. Create the perfect dynamic structured data markup and apply it to all pages of the same type by adding custom markups from your favourite schema generator tools or modify templates by choosing from an extensive list of variables. Easily switch between article subtype presets in blog posts and add quick link for structured data validation in Google's rich results test tool. Plus, all this is on top of the default settings Wix automatically adds to dynamic pages like product, event, forum posts and more. There's just so much more you can do with Wix, from understanding how bots are crawling your site with built-in bot log reports, to customized URL prefixes and flat URL structures on all product and blog pages. You can also get instant indexing of your homepage on Google, while a direct partnership with Google My Business lets you manage new and existing business listings right from the Wix dashboard. Visit wix.com forward slash SEO to learn more. I did actually see a um, a new list of um, compiled ranking factors done by survey the other day, and I I think it's it the it's interesting insight you've given, which is as you got more experienced, as time as well moved forward, you perhaps found those questions harder to answer. So maybe the people left who are answering them haven't realised yet how hard they are to answer, which is really screwing up. The, the end results yeah i mean put, put it this way nobody asks me to complete those surveys anymore <laughs> I, um, I think my my opinions might be too robust for them i you picked i picked up on a, something you said earlier and i think i know the answer but um can you expand why you say you can't run a test on a home page maybe test on a home page yeah sure so you can i mean there's the things you can do on a home page so you can obviously you can change something and look at the before and after you can try and compare what happened uh, before you made the change and after you made the change that is that can be confounded by many things seasonality uh, competitor changes google algorithm updates uh, all, all kinds of other things can, can confound that data the challenge and you could you and there are other kinds of tests you can run on the homepage right so you can run a conversion rate test on your homepage where you show different versions of your homepage to uh, some of your users and different versions to another of your users and and compare the uh, the, the resulting behavior the problem with seo tests is that 
we're essentially talking about an audience of one in the first instance, which is Googlebot. And you can't, so you can't do version A and version B because you you have to pick a version to show to Googlebot. And although there could be millions of users kind of the other side of Googlebot, they all go through the Googlebot funnel, if you like. So they all they all get the experience that Googlebot got as far as it, as far as the search results are concerned. And so, uh, yeah, there's essentially no way of doing a kind of controlled real-time A-B uh, split test on, on a single page. The way that uh, the way that we run tests is we take a large group of pages that have the same layout, same template, uh, what we call a site section, and we change some of those pages and, and leave other pages as the control. And then the, the statistics and the machine learning model on that is, is quite complex, but, but essentially you're using the control pages to figure out the, the behavior of the control pages to, to get rid of those confounding variables like seasonality and site-wide changes and Google algorithm updates and competitor actions uh, to figure out is the change real? You know, is the change that you see on, on the pages that you that you modified, is that is that change real or is it a statistical artifact? So I'm now going to um, start wading knee deep into statistics, an area I'm incredibly uncomfortable um, going in. So I'm going to stop at the edge of the, the pool <laughs> and, and ask two very careful questions, which is for, so we deal with a lot of like medium-sized businesses that I don't think would be able to do this kind of testing, as we said, on, on sections of the site. It's just not enough, perhaps, traffic to do that. Um, so I have I have two questions, so I think they're related, which is, firstly, um, do you think it's worthwhile for smaller sites to try their own kind of testing without this this platform, knowing that they, they, they couldn't do this? And, and secondly, because I think it's a related question, because I've seen you write about it, if you want to talk about what happens when you do tests and you get a null result um, and whether you still deploy stuff or, or not based on that. Yeah, uh, they, they are quite closely related in many ways. I think, so to take the first question, what do I think folks should do if their site is too small or the, the traffic is too low to, to run statistical tests? I do think they should run, what I, I guess what I call them experiments uh, rather than tests. So, so you're not trying to get statistical significance. You're not trying to do science, but you do want to go back and say, was that thing I did a good idea? And sometimes the answer will be, I don't know. And you, know, you just have to do your best with that. Um, and some, not it's not for literally every change, but I think for anything significant, anything with a big hypothesis behind it, yeah, you know, annotate it in your analytics, look at before and after. I, I probably wouldn't get into trying to do it too statistically. I, I think what, and this is the same on the conversion rate side, right? If you've got a very small site with, without a ton of traffic, you can absolutely do conversion rates, apply conversion rate methodologies, conversion rate optimization methodologies. You can interview your users. You can uh, come up with, um, uh, hypotheses about, about what's going to improve things, but you're not going to be saying, you know, I'm going to be able to measure a 0.2% uplift in the same way that Amazon might be able to. You're looking for doubling your conversion rate. And so I think that's the other part is, is go bold. If, you're, if your site is, is small or low traffic, try the big changes because you know, if you improve your conversion rate by 0.2%, not only can you not measure it, but it doesn't matter. You know, that, that's like an extra conversion every couple of decades or something. You know, like the look for the big changes and look for the things that will show up in your analytics if they work. If they're risky, they'll show up negatively and you can undo them. Uh, so yeah, that, that's my, my answer to that side of things. And it relates to the second part, which is what do you do when you run either an experiment or a test? And the answer is, don't know, which, which is common. One little bit of language stuff that we've tried to really uh, implement at SearchPilot is not to call that a null result. 
Um, and that because null is, is is a is terminology that comes from statistics. And anybody who would it be GCSE statistics probably would be you, you have the null hypothesis, right? And the um, and the null hypothesis is the the default case. And that's the that's the situation in most of the cases we're talking about. The null hypothesis is this change made no difference. And the, um, you know, the the hypothesis you're testing is this change did make a difference. And most statistical tests are not designed to tell you that the null hypothesis was true. All they're capable of doing is saying either the alternative hypothesis is true, probably, or it's statistically likely to be true, or we can't rule out the null hypothesis. And that's not the same as saying that the null hypothesis is correct. And so, and that's quite important because um, what we're what you're saying in that situation is, suppose you, you get a test that is what we call inconclusive. You're saying basically we don't know. You're not saying we think the original version is is better. You're not even saying we think uh, they're equivalent. We're saying we don't really have enough information to judge. And normally the error bands are so big that they include there was an uplift. They include there was a downturn. You know, like the and so that's why we call them inconclusive. So, so the question is, what do you do with an inconclusive result? And that could be an inconclusive result to a, a scientific test like we're talking about here, or it could be the inconclusive result to an experiment like I was talking about before, where you just you just do something bold, and then you go and look in your analytics and you're like, well, I don't know, can't really tell. Um, and yeah, so, so you do something, it, the result is inconclusive. What should you do next? And the there's a lot of... Um, information out there, there's a lot of people with very strong opinions that you should absolutely not deploy the change, right? You you ran a test, you were looking for statistical significance, you did not find it, so you it's just wrong, scientifically, mathematically, statistically wrong to uh, to roll out the change. I disagree. I think, and the, the phrase I've used for this is that we're doing business, not science. So in scientific, uh, in, in in true science what you're trying to do is push forward the boundaries of human knowledge and you want people to build on the work that other scientists have done. So you want to say with confidence that a result is correct and then future scientists can take that result and extend it and expand it and you know, go further and deeper. Um, and in some areas, it's actually really important that the first result is correct as well, right? Think like medical trials or, or something like that. Um, and if you're in those kind of situations where you need to know the answer, then you absolutely shouldn't draw an inference from a test that is inconclusive. However, we're doing business, not science. So what we want to do is not discover with statistical confidence, is version B better than version A? What we want to do is roll out the one that is most likely to make us the most money. And if if, if the statistics come back and say 51, well, let's do the, the Brexit ratio, 52% uh, chance of version B being better, 48% chance of version A being better. You know, you can't build a medical trial on that. You can't publish that in a scientific journal and expect future scientists to go, well, this is definitely true. Now, you know, we can build the future endeavors off this. But if you're going to say, which one do you want to roll out? I'm going to go, well, B, right? Because it's only a slight, like the odds are only slightly in my favor, but they're in my favor by the same amount that, you know, the casinos odds are better than mine and they make a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, the, the, there is a whole um, bunch of like mathematical statistical research underpinning this. It's not just me talking nonsense. It, it's um, if people want to go and d delve more into it, it's all kind of regret minimization type stuff, multi-arm bandit. There is a load of research in this area, um, but we simplify it to essentially a decision quadrant. So how how strong is the result? How likely do we think 
the result is, how strong was the hypothesis before we started, right? If, this, if, this, if we're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, we need a fairly strong result to believe it. If we had a very strong reason for thinking that this was a good idea from you know, first principles, information retrieval theory, et cetera, then a weaker result will do. Um, and, and the final variable is how hard is it? So if this is a very simple change, we're literally just going, you know, should we have A or, or B? And, and they're both built, then we'll just, we'll just go with the one that got the better results, even if it's only very marginal. Um, and whereas if there's a big cost to building that out, then we'll look for a higher hurdle essentially on that, that confidence interval. But we're, we're definitely not um, dogmatic about saying this must be, you know, P equals 0.05, uh, you know, 95% confidence, whatever. There, there are things you can learn from other tests, in my opinion. Wow. That was, I don't think I've ever quite heard that so expertly explained. So thank you for that. Tr trying to pull my mind back to just summarize some of that. Um, small sites doing conversion testing, go big. I think I actually saw that advice first from, I think it was conversion.com and it was really valuable when I, when I learned that about as well, the amount of data then you need to prove that something um, does have an impact. So again, great advice. I love the um, comparison to casinos with those those small percentages, you know, making difference and, you know, you're doing business, not science. Um, and also at the show notes, uh, so search.withcanada.co.uk will link to that quadrant um, you spoke about sort of so people can visualize that about about making decisions. So we're, we're kind of coming to the end now. Do you have any final advice for kind of senior leadership in general when they're thinking about SEO investments? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. And I think we're in a, we're in a fantastic situation now, actually, where for the last, well, as long as I've been in the industry, so you know, 15 plus years, we've been talking about how the skills that you get as, as, a, as an SEO practitioner can set you up really well for marketing leadership because you have to understand people, data, channels, creative, uh, analytics, etc. You know, like you, you, it's, it's really great training. And so back in 2005, we were all talking about, you know, the folks that we're hanging out with are one day going to be marketing leaders. And we kind of, uh, you know, with the dog that caught the car, we are, right? There, there are um, VPs of marketing, marketing directors, CMOs around uh, a whole bunch of industries who, who had that, whose who backgrounds in SEO, which is great. The downside is most of them were practitioners in 2012. And I think that what I've, what I've been trying to encourage them to, to learn a bit more about since then is, is the growth of the, the machine learning side on Google side. So, so less predictability, more need for all the stuff we just talked about, all the testing and, and, and so forth. Um, that the SEO is, is hard and, and getting harder and but just as necessary as ever right the organic channel is massive for for a huge range of businesses so they need to structure their investment and i think this, this is probably the key thing they need to structure their investment and their team in such a way that they can sustain it for long enough to win and probably the biggest mistake i see is is kind of a lot of chopping and changing of strategy a lot of uh doing a bit not doing it for long enough for it to work stopping and doing something else and none of them none of those things sticking so I think what my advice, therefore, is, is to build the reporting, build the expectations, build the communication to senior management, senior leadership about how long it takes, about what data is available. Um, I, I talked about bringing opinions to a data fight. What Searchpilot is trying to do is, is help those folks bring data to, to that tech, that, that, um, those conversations and to be able to say, look, you know, here are the hypotheses, here's the test results, here's the data that we're getting. 
Um, and then the, the final piece is actually, I think, looping all the way back around to where we started is the user-centric stuff and the future of SEO being more CRO-like. So not only invest in it like CRO, not only structure your um, initiatives and your hypotheses in, in similar ways, but make sure you've got access to that data and make sure you are being user-centric. And, and while I, I definitely believe in following the, the test results and, and the data, remember that the actual point is impressing humans still. The robots aren't buying anything. So uh, that's it, I want to be part of building better web experiences for as many people as possible. And um, I'm, I'm, I feel like that is what the industry has pushed towards over the years. And so, yeah, I, I guess putting those things together, that, that's where I hope marketing leadership gets is sustainable, sustained SEO investments directed at creating great user experiences. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. What's the best way for people to connect with you, find out more about Search Pilot, have conversations with you about this kind of thing? I'm probably most accessible on Twitter. I'm at Will Critchlow on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active there. Uh, you can also check out searchpilot.com. That's where all of our kind of official stuff is. And in particular, uh, the case studies I mentioned that we publish every couple of weeks and the email list that goes with that. So um, yeah, some combination of those things. My email address is pretty easy to find if people want to drop, drop me an actual email as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us, talk to us about A-B testing, marketing leadership, search pilot. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Search with Candor with Will Critchlow from Search Pilot. We'll be back, of course, as usual, in one week on Monday, the 27th of September. If you aren't already, please think about subscribing to the podcast. I try my best to keep it interesting for everyone working in and around search. If you've got any suggestions, of course, please let me know. Otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful week.